This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your book editor and host. I'm joined this week by Liz Posse-Korthel, who wrote the chapter, Thinking About the Future is Important for Any Design Process. Welcome, Liz. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the podcast here. Can you introduce yourself for folks, please? Sure thing. So I am a senior experience strategist at MadPow. Um, I work a lot with clients in healthcare in thinking about, you know, service design and, and strategies towards getting toward a preferable vision of the future. Um, so that's where futures thinking and a little bit of what I got into in my chapter um, comes through a bit too. Yep. And can you tell us about your career trajectory, how you discovered UX and how you wound up where you are today? Sure. Um, I feel like I took a bit of a winding road to get here. So um, I actually, when I first went to college, I started off as an English major and a theater major. Um, I, I really wanted to be a, a literature major, you know, read, read a bunch and teach English one day. Um, and I loved theater, so that was something I was interested in too. But it ended up being that, you know, I took all the utopian, dystopian future classes I could in the literature major and, and wanted to change majors so I could do something that was, you know, changing the world a little bit or thinking about design a little bit more because I yep. really found that that was what I was interested in theater was the design element. Um, so I actually changed majors to environmental design while I was at UMass. And then from there, I really thought maybe I wanted to be a city planner. I was watching a lot of Parks and Rec, was really wanting <laughs> to be Leslie Nope when I grew up. Um, so I I thought that I wanted to go down that route. I did a little bit of interning in Amherst, Massachusetts in the city and found that I was enjoying the process, but I really was drawn towards the design elements. So when we were thinking about a new public garden, what would it look like? What would it feel like to be there? So I, I decided I wanted to really pursue my further education in design. Um, so I went to SCAD for my master's degree in industrial design. And even when I was there, I quickly realized, you know, industrial design really wasn't necessarily exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I, I'm not a lover of stuff. I think yep. that everyone probably has enough stuff. Right. <laughs> so I didn't want to more design more stuff. So I was really interested in, you know, service design, UX, strategy, these different things. And are we thinking the right way or asking the right questions? But mm -hmm. after graduating, I actually worked um, in legal trial design for a little bit. So working with lawyers on patent trials or other sorts of trials to really design the story and the visuals of how to best convey to a jury, you know, the story that you're trying to tell. Um, but then I found my way to MadPow, which is where I still am. And, you know, th really thinking about user experiences and how do we make decisions and processes that are both good for people and good for business and really thinking about, um, you know, how do we do something human centered? How do we even think beyond human centered if we really want to get into thinking about the whole globe and the whole systems thinking elements of things? So. I took a bit of a winding road, but that's yeah. how I ended up here. <laughs> Great. Thank you for that. 
And can you tell us a little bit more about that transition from industrial design to service design? Uh, how did you, you know, what helped you make that transition? Yeah, so I had one class at SCAD where we, we really started doing design research and we did some really interesting kind of weird methods. Um, the professor was amazing. I later TA'd for her and, and just learning about the different ways that we can engage with research and really tell stories through research. I started thinking like, maybe that's more the realm I want to go towards is more towards research or service design, thinking about things that I'm not just designing a product. You know, I've never been <laughs> great at building things. Um, shop class in industrial design was right. also a great eye-opening experience as I was trying desperately to build a cube at four in the morning <laughs> because mm -hmm. I just couldn't get it right. Um, so just some really eye-opening experiences where I was working on projects that I think I, I started realizing, you know, maybe a product's not always the right answer and maybe it's always, we're not always asking the right question. So I think that I started to kind of get a little exploratory and wanting to get beyond just having a product be the, the end result for each and every project. So thankfully I had a really supportive professor group at SCAD who was, you know, told me how to, what classes to take to kind of gear myself towards more of that service design work or um, how to design my portfolio or really tell a story to get there um, to really, you know, it's hard when you have an industrial design degree to be applying to service design jobs. Yep. So how to, how to tell that story and support that a little bit more. So thankfully I had that at SCAD. Uh, I have to ask, tell, tell, tell us a little bit more about those weird research methods. Uh, what was, what was <laughs> weird about them? Yeah. So it was actually awesome. So we got to do a project where we examined some culture in Savannah, mm. some culture or subculture. So one group did the culture of the Savannah airport. Um, another group did this project all about love in Savannah. You know, it's a very romantic city. But my group did a project all about gender performance and gender expression. So it was awesome. We got to meet with, you know, we met with drag queens. Um, we met with folks that, uh, you know, identified as transgender, folks that identified with non-binary. We helped support them in things like, you know, gender neutral restrooms or however we could best support and lend a hand. Um, we talked to members of the community outside of SCAD. And we just had these really, really awesome opportunities to talk about gender and how we express gender. So some of the cool, <laughs> weird research methods. Um, we did a lot of ethnographic deep dives, including, mm -hmm. you know, like really becoming a part of the community. It actually ended up, I ended up backstage dancing for a drag queen at one point, <laughs> um, which was an unexpected place for a class to take me. You know, I had to explain that one to my parents afterward a little bit, but <laughs> they no were doubt. excited. But we also did some cool cultural probes. So um, we would kind of do these like guerrilla style, you have 20 minutes to make a cultural probe that's going to be relevant to your project. Go do it somewhere in downtown Savannah. So we, we did this one where we had this, um, we had had a, an interview where someone was talking about how in their day-to-day -day life, there's, there's sometimes fear of what they're going to be called or what someone's going to say or how someone might treat them. But then when they're performing as a drag queen, they really feel like they have the microphone, they're in control. Mm -hmm. So we kind of wanted to do this cultural probe to better understand 
what people were afraid of, what people were afraid of being called and things like that. So we had this big printout piece of foam core and had people write these things, you know, tourists in Savannah, folks that were just walking by. And it was really interesting. It prompted a lot of interesting conversation, um, interesting insights that were just unique. It's kind of the stuff that you can kind of get away with when you're in grad school where you're just kind of being a little punk rock and seeing what people react to, which is, is always fun. Yeah, that is definitely different and interesting, and and I can see how that can be effective. So uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So uh, your chapter here, thinking about the future is important for any design process. Can you fill us in there, please? Sure thing. Um, So when I'm talking about thinking about the future, I'm really talking about thinking beyond the future of a product or a service, like beyond that one to two year range that we're typically cast in in design UX practitioner roles. You know, we're thinking about a product launch or a strategy to get them a, a client to, you know, two or three years into the future. Um, so what I'm talking about in this chapter is more about looking into, you know, 10 years into the future, kind of seeing if we can untangle some of the unintended consequences that may come up as a part of our design, mm-hmm. thinking about how we might create some images of the future because those images can help us better understand how we might get there or can inspire change or can inspire, you know, these really big emotional futures where we can all say, oh, I can't not go there. That's so invocative and so interesting. We really need to be moving in that direction. Yep. So thinking about creating those visions and then how do we get there from today? So that is kind of what I get into a little bit in the chapter. Wonderful. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind there is how do we think about the future when the future is fluid? How can we determine what those unintended consequences are when the future is ever changing? Right. Yeah, that that is the the scary part about the future and also the awesome opportunity of the future. Um, It really is an opportunity space where we have a little bit more playing room than we do you know, thinking about two or three years from now, if we think two or three years in the future, things might look the same or similar or slightly different, but we're not sure how just yet. But if we look a little bit further, we can kind of say, okay, here's this thing we see today. Let's just think about this and think about how that might conclude in 10 years. Like if we look at a a trend we're seeing today, what might that look like with 10 years more time? So it gives us that opportunity to kind of play with those options and really be creative and thinking about change. Yeah. And how do you go about uh, doing that and facilitating this conversation? Yeah, so there's there's many ways to start thinking about the future and, and really applying futures thinking. Um, I approach futures thinking mostly as uh, as a facilitator. You know, I'm someone that does a lot of workshopping, a lot of great conversations. And I really think that as a facilitator, I don't want to be an expert on the future. I want to be able to get great, gather the right group of people to have an interesting conversation about the future. Right. So I think it's really about gathering those right people and then asking some questions and applying some processes to try to look forward a little bit. So in the chapter, I have some of the, the foundational questions that one might ask. So things like the past, if we're thinking about the future of healthcare. What are some of the things in the past that we have to 
acknowledge, we have to think about, you know, we can't ignore our insurance system, we can't ignore things that really, really deeply impact healthcare today if we want to think about the future. And we also kind of want to think about the near future. So what are those forecasts and those trends, the things that we see today, the things that might be on the little bit on the outskirts. So maybe it's not, you know, a Business Insider article, but you hear a little whisper over here of, oh, they're trying this cool new technology on horses. What might this mean? And kind of following some of those through and seeing what things might look like if, you know, we think about the metaverse and how that might play with different systems in healthcare or different trends that we might hear whispers of and think are interesting and kind of seeing where those might go. Yeah. And that's that's always key to being a, a great UX designer uh, in general is keeping up on those trends and, and thinking about where they could go. Are there places people could look or, you know, for, for these trends and, and where how they could be thinking about them? So my biggest uh, suggestion on thinking about these trends, I think there's a lot of really great places that, you know, come up with these trend books at the beginning of every year, you know, it being close to the beginning of the year, it's still an awesome time to look into those trend reports and see what people are saying. Um, I look a lot on places like Wired or TechCrunch to really see what kind of the big headlines are. But the important thing with really looking for those interesting little tiny nuggets is clicking like two or three or four more steps down the rabbit hole. Mm. So if there's a New York Times article about something, New York Times is more pointing toward things that are currently happening, things that are in place. You know, if a law is being passed, that's something that's already happening, which means it's no longer the future. But if we click like three or four more times in, examine that part that we think sounds a little weird, examine this thing that we think is really, really interesting, we might find something really cool. So for instance, uh, in doing some scanning last year about, you know, COVID and health trends, I was able to go from finding, you know, everyone says COVID might be really great for AI and healthcare because it's a data set that might be able to train a lot of AIs. So I said, what does that mean? What does that really look like? You Mm -hmm. know, So clicking a little bit deeper, I found this really cool open source GitHub link for a bunch of chest x-rays. You could upload your own chest x-ray. Doctors could use this as a data set. You know, you could train your AI on it. So thinking about like, what does an open source data set in healthcare look like? And what might that mean for practitioners or people who are trying to really study this and understand what these chest x-rays might mean long term. So clicking a little bit deeper into the weird fringes is like really the way to find the cool futurey things. Interesting. Yeah, in, in whatever domain that you're designing for or interested in finding going going back going back to that word weird, finding the weird and interesting things going on in that domain could be what the future leads to. Yeah, totally. I think everyone has an inner nerd and has something that they're really interested about, really, you know, really think this is cool and could be the next big thing. I think just like feed that inner nerd occasionally, you know, look, look at the stuff you think is a little weird and no one else might think is interesting, but it, it is really interesting. It could be something cool. That said, you mentioned doing a lot of work in, in healthcare, what is going on today and that's weird and, and trend, trending in uh, in your world? Yeah, so there's I think there's some interesting 
opportunities for some conversations around the metaverse in in healthcare. Mm. I think it's a challenging one too. You know, I think I have challenging thoughts and feelings around, you know, meta Facebook turning into meta and what that might mean for humanity. And also what does it mean to think about having one single metaverse when in reality, you know, video games have been around for a very long time. There are metaverses, you know, World of Warcraft is a functional metaverse. Um, So thinking about what things like that might look like or mean for healthcare, I think is, is interesting. You know, what might a technology like AR be able to do for someone who's trying to better empathize with a patient or a, a doctor or, you know, someone for a training system? What are some interesting opportunities with these technologies and how might they really look and shape and feel. Um, but I think there's a lot of interesting trends that I'm we're, we're diving into a lot to really kind of think about what a future might look like with, with some of the things that we see today and here today. But definitely interested in, you know, the metaverse and interested in crypto, what that might mean mm. one day in healthcare. You know, I'm not a, a big NFT person, but I think that it's interesting to think about you know, a technology like QR codes. QR codes were effectively meaningless in our lives up until the pandemic made them as useful as they could be. So thinking about something like an NFT that right now I kind of think to myself, this doesn't seem that useful. I'm not sure what you would apply it to. I'm not that into this. Thinking about like, what might that look like in five years time? Might that have its QR code moment in the sun? And I think on the flip side there, something also to keep in mind is how things can be used for nefarious reasons. Everything we've been talking about so far is using these technologies for good and thinking about how they can be used for the good in the future. But can you tell us a little bit about thinking about the other side of that? Yeah, totally. And I think that it is naturally my tendency to want to start with a, this dystopian version. I'm trying to push right. myself a little bit more to think about how these things could be used for good. Um, but I think a lot about like AI and how it has potentials to heal and potentials to harm in healthcare. You know, if there are a set of predictors that can tell, you know, you bought a bag of chips with your lunch, so your health insurance isn't valid this month, that's horrifying to think, you know, like, if you don't fit into this mold of what a, a healthy person is determined to be by this health insurance company, like what, what does that look like? How does that play out? Um, are, are certain people deemed less, you know, less valued, less than others? It's, it's, a, it's terrifying to think because I think part of that acknowledgement, especially with something like AI, is that humans are the ones making it and... We know that humans have, we all have our own biases and that's a part of life and a part of existing, but it's an important part of thinking about the future and and any design process and and working is really to think, how can we make sure these biases are being checked? How can we make sure that we're bringing in the diverse potential to really, you know, check our biases, check our privileges, make sure we're thinking about this from other users' point of view. So when it comes to systems like AI or the metaverse and thinking about how they could be used for, for you know, the downfall of society, it's, it's almost impossible not to go there because you know they're designed by humans. And 
I don't know if I trust those humans or I would put those humans in charge. I don't know if I trust that they're checking their biases, you know, just interesting to think about. It's a, it's a good little downward spiral to really send the brain on, but I do think they can be used for good too. It's just, you have to strike that balance. Yep. Or, you know, not, or not hitting um, the equity note unconsciously because they don't realize that the data set that they're using doesn't have uh, equitable data, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So um, good idea uh, or good intentions, but sometimes you don't even know if um, something nefarious is going on. Right, right. Which is why that, that good intentions must be always asked, of, like you always have to follow it up with the unintended consequences. Yep. So we might have the best intentions, but we all, that's why I think it's important to invite as many people into the room as possible is really to think like, what did we miss? What, what unconscious bias is present in this design or this process? How might we better, you know, design the other half of that, make that a little stronger, make it easier, make it better for more people. Yep. Great. Uh, anything else about your chapter that you were hoping to convey here? Um, I, I think I, I'll, I'll leave on a fun note about futures that really inspires me each time that is a quote I put in the chapter as well that comes from um, Jim Dator, who's the uh, kind of the godfather of futures, if you will. So his, his quote is, any useful statement about the future should appear to be ridiculous. Hmm. So if you're thinking about the future, if you're interested in the future, um, the more ridiculous it sounds today the more you're likely to be getting at something real or something potential or something interesting. So it is a rare process and a rare thought process that really encourages that ridiculous or that out of bounds thinking, really thinking outside the box. So it's very creative. It's really ripe with opportunity to be creative and a little ridiculous. (laughs) Nice. And again, isn't that what being a great designer is about is embracing the ridiculous and exploring there? Right. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for all that. Uh, in our final segment here, we love getting a piece of advice. So is there a piece of ad- career advice you would offer to folks either breaking into UX or who have some experience here? Sure. So this is an odd ad- piece of advice, but um, I think that it holds true. You know, I revealed I was formerly a theater major, but I think everyone in most roles should take some type of theater class at some point in time. Hmm. I think that there's a lot that theater can teach us about public speaking, a lot about not af- being afraid to be silly or be crazy looking or do something really weird and uncomfortable. And I think that that's, it's really what I credit a lot with my ability to facilitate a workshop successfully, you know, being able to speak to people, being able to improv when something goes wrong, being able to kind of pick it up and laugh at myself is I think really probably one of the most crucial skills I've learned. Mm. And I learned it in doing theater and doing silly things and not being afraid to make a fool of myself um, in that context, which is very safe and inviting and usually trying to be funny and trying to have fun. So um, I think that is that is my piece of advice because it really can break people out of their shell, which I think is is great. Yeah, that's uh, that's a wonderful piece of advice and definitely uh, different than what we've heard here on the podcast. Thank you for that. And it's so true. One of the things that we hear when when teaching research is that, ah, I don't like being in front of a crowd or what if I mess something up or, you know, Mm -hmm. how do do I deal with this or how do I improv? 
And everything you just said, that's a great way to, to get ahead of that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's a fun way to kind of secretly teach yourself a good life skill where you think you're just having fun and playing improv games and doing something silly. And then later you'll be like, oh, wait, I learned what to do here. Right. <laughs> I have a weird joke I can pull out of my pocket and think about in this context and jump to the next thing. OK, and it'll be fine. And also on the you know, the professional side, when you're making presentations or giving presentations, it'll help uh, there as well, not just in your research, but also on your on the business side. Totally, yeah. definitely. Well, Liz, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. My pleasure. Our guest today has been Liz Posse corthell who wrote the chapter, Thinking About the Future is Important for Any Design Process. You've been listening to the 97 UX Things podcast. Thanks for listening. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.